if you don't know who I am, my name is Babalo Tekiso, and it's my awesome privilege to be the leader of this place. Don't you like our drum cage, guys? It's a pity that uh, the guy who did this beautiful thing for us is not here, Charles. Charles is uh, one of the groundsmen here at Following Jesus, and he's, amazing. he's an amazing carpenter, very skilled and very talented. Charles did that for us. It was, the original, it was originally on that corner, but then there were some sites missing because there it was leaning against the wall. So now he just redesigned it and done that for us. And he even put wheels on it. Can you believe it? So we can pimp this thing the way we want, and we can put it on the right, in the middle, we can put it at the back there, we can do anything we want with it. And it's awesome. But Charles also did the sound desk for us, so if you admire that sound desk, Charles is the one who did it. And if you want his services, please speak to Dumisani. He'll give you his contact details. He's a man who loves God and serves God, but just doesn't come to this church. That's his problem. But... Um, <laughs> But we still love him anyway. And I have one last thing. After last week's uh, church service, someone who felt God laid in their heart, a couple, came to us and said, listen, we would love to buy the entire blinds for the church. Wow. So they said I have permission to say this. But I'm not allowed to say their names. And I'm not going to name them, but I'll just say that we are thankful and we appreciate um, what you guys have been doing in this church. I mean, your generosity has been amazing. The things that we see people sacrifice just to make this place look like home for everybody. And you'll agree with me, there's something new every week in this place. And that new thing just adds, you know, to the beauty of this place. So we thank you guys, for your generosity and for the commitment to turn this place around and for other things that you are doing as a way of saving in this place. It's amazing, isn't it? Amen. And on that note of sacrifice, today I'm going to be speaking on sacrifice and we'll be looking at a passage in the Bible that is somehow controversial, but also a passage about faith, a passage about sacrifice, and a passage that's going to teach us if we have forgotten what sacrifice looks like, and the levels of sacrifice that we have been called to by God in some instances. So, this morning, we're going to be looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac. We're going to be looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac. And it's found in Genesis chapter 2. Thank you, babe. It's found in Genesis chapter 22. A quick background of this story is this. Abraham gets called by God in chapter 12 to leave the place where he's staying with his family, with his relatives. And God sends him to a place that he will show him. Imagine waking up in the morning and waking up from a dream where God said, uh, wake up in the morning and <laughs> go, go and start your car and start driving. I'll show you a place. 
Literally, that's what happened to Abraham. God said, leave this place and go to a place I will show you. So he leaves this place, he takes his wife, he's 75 years at the time, and he takes everyone, his servants, his money, everything, and he starts a journey that God will show him. And years later, Sarah, who didn't have a child with Abraham, starts complaining and starts moaning to God, saying, you've given us everything, but you haven't given us a child. And then God goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want to give you a promise. You're going to be a father of many nations. And Abraham <laughs> thinks, what does this guy mean? A father of many nations. I'm now eight years old and my wife is also old. I mean, really? But anyway, it's okay. I take the promise. But then Sarah later comes to Abraham and says to him, listen, this thing of father of many nations is not going to work for me. Here is a servant who's working in our house called Hagar. You and Hagar go and spend some time together. And nine months later, the results were showing what they were doing. So Abraham agrees to Sarah's suggestion to sleep with Hagar. And a son gets born. In between Hagar's pregnancy, Hagar starts feeling superior to Sarah and starts mistreating her boss because her boss cannot have children. So Sarah goes back to Abraham and says, your servant is treating me bad. And guess what, Abraham? It's all your fault. And then Abraham says, you know what, Sarah? You say it's my fault. I'm giving you permission. Go do what you see fit to the servant. So Sarah goes and mistreats Hagar. She mistreats her to a place where Hagar runs away from their house. And she runs away pregnant from the house. And while Hagar is in the wilderness, next to a stream, an angel of the Lord comes to her and says, Hagar, what are you doing here? And Hagar says, I'm running away from my mistress, my boss, because she's treating me this way. And the angel says, Hagar, I want you to go back to your boss. And I want you to submit under her authority. Because you are pregnant and you're going to have a child. You are going to have a son. And I want you to name that son Ishmael. Because God has seen your tears and has heard your cries. Ishmael means God hears. So Sir Hagar stands up, obeys the voice of the angel, and goes back home. And she has a child. And they live happily ever after. <laughs> not they don't live happily ever after because after that something happens God calls Abraham 
and says to Abraham, Abraham, do you remember my promise? Remember I told you I'm going to make you a father of nations. But you've done something outside the promise. So I want to rename you, you Abraham. At the time you were still called Abraham. And he says, I want to name you and call you Abraham. Abraham means exalted father. But Abraham means a father of nations. So God turns Abraham's name into Abraham and says, to stick with my promise, I'm going to rename you. I'm going to give you a new identity. Because my promise must come when you are renewed, Abraham. So he renames him. And then he goes to Sarah and says, you, at the time Sarah is called Sarai, and it means the same thing. It means princess. But then God comes to you and says, you are no longer going to be called Sarai. You are going to be called Sarah. Because you, I want to make a mother of many nations from you. So Sarah and Abraham have a new identity where the promise of God can now come and be a reality for them. So in their old age, at the age of 90, <laughs> at the age of 90, Isaac gets conceived and Isaac is born. I hope my wife is in the room and is listening. <laughs> we, 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 we have a running joke in my house. I don't know if I'm going to get into trouble for saying this. but So I've been begging on my knees for our third baby. And my wife is like, no, the clock is gone. Relax. It's over. So now that she hears that at 90 it's still possible, I'm hoping that, you know, she can reconsider. Amen? No, no, no. Amen? The church agrees. So at the age of 90, Sarah and Abraham are blessed with a child and Isaac gets born. And the name of Isaac means laughter. It means joy. So they get told that they must name this child Isaac because God wants to bring joy in their lives. Because Sarah complained that there's no joy in her life because she didn't have a baby. And now she has a baby. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. Because now that Isaac is in the room, now Sarah realizes that I made a mistake. I should have waited for God. And I shouldn't have doubted God. And then Ishmael and Hagar get sacrificed in that. Because the most sad thing happens. Now that Sarah has her own child, she says to Abraham, Get rid of these people. And Hagar and Ishmael get given a little bit of bread and water and they are sent away. 
guess that's a preach for another day. But I want you to just think about it for a moment. For some of us who have children, for some of us who have exes and who have people who we've sent out and are not even thinking about where they are. Just because there's a promise of a new thing that has arrived. So, if you didn't come to church and you heard me say this story, you'd swear it was a soapy. Because it sounds something like what we watch on TV. It sounds like something that some of us have experienced. But this is the word of God. So when we read from chapter 22, from verse 1, now that the promise has arrived, now that Isaac has brought joy to Sarah, now that Isaac and Abraham are living the good life, the promise has been fulfilled. God comes back into the picture. Because when he renamed Abraham, he said to Abraham, I have one responsibility that I want to give you, Abraham. And that responsibility is that you are going to obey me all the days of your life. That's all I want you to do. From now on, obey my commandments. When I speak, listen. So God comes back to Abraham. And the Bible's heading says, God tests Abraham. And we read as follows. From verse 1. Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said to him, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Abraham has heard this story before. Go to a country I will show you. He stood up and left. Go to a mountain I will show you. And the Bible tells us that early the next morning in verse 3, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, somebody say on the third day. Abraham looked up and saw a place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. Let's pause it right there. <laughs> Abraham is been told by God, go and sacrifice your child. 
the burnt offering in the olden days is what would happen when the people of God will take a lamb and put it on the wood altar and they will burn the lamb as a burnt offering to God. So Abraham, when God says, give me your son as a burnt sacrifice, understand what God is talking about. When you burn something, it's gone. But Abraham says, number one, stay here. Me and my son are going to the mountain and we are going to worship. I don't know if I don't know English or if I don't know how to read, but what I've just read tells me that Abraham sees the act that he's about to do for God as worship. So worship includes sacrifice. Point number two, Abraham says, after we've worshipped, we will come back. What is this all about? He's not saying, I will come back. He says, we will come back. So something in Abraham knew that they were going to come back. Because you can't take something to sacrifice it that is gone and then you believe that that thing is going to come back and you'll go back the mountain with it. So, what did Abraham knew? In Hebrews 11, when we talk about the fathers of the faith, Abraham gets mentioned he gets mentioned in the list of all the fathers who had the faith. And it says in Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 17 By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had been embraced the promises huh? He who had embraced the promises. Okay, English, come on. They say it's like airtime, it runs out sometimes. Oh, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now listen to this. It says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So, Abraham, while taking his child up the mountain, is going with obedience of the word that God has told him. But he's also going in faith that he's not going to lose his son. Because he believes, even if his son dies, 
God will raise him from the dead. Because in Isaac is a promise. Now you might be sitting there thinking, what kind of a God is this? Who promises you a child for 25 years, then delivers the child to you when you are 90, and then your child is now in your family, you are enjoying his presence, and God says, sacrifice him for me. What kind of a God is this? How can God test Abraham like this? This is an unusual test. Abraham has passed many tests before. He's been sent up and down and he's going. And God comes back and tests him this way? And this then takes me to the question. Is it really true that God tests his people? And I'm here this morning to say, if you've been told it's not true, you've been lied to. Because God does test his people. But why does God test his people? Why does God indeed test his people? My thinking is, looking at the story of Abraham, is to deepen our capacity to obey him and his voice. Because when he tests you, he takes you through a process. And he wants you to come out the other side a different person. I believe God tests us to develop and mature our character. I don't think God tests us and wants to see us fail. I don't think God allows things to happen to us so that he can sit and watch us and say, <laughs> look at you, you failed. I don't think God was testing Abraham because he wanted to see Abraham fail. God was doing something in Abraham's heart that will deepen his obedience to God. And that will make him mature in his character. So if you are sitting in this room this morning and you are facing tests of many kinds, I'm inviting you to know that the sovereign God does test his people. And the sovereign God with us in the test wants to see us come out the other side passing the test with flying colors but how do we handle tests when they come in our own lives number one because we are different and because we are people of different backgrounds and different lives Point number one, our test will always look different. 
For Abraham, his test was to sacrifice his child. For Job, his test was to leave everything and for his entire family, his entire wealth to be removed from him. David, going through his test, says, God, I will give you praise because I know, my God, that you test my heart and are pleased with my integrity. So because we are different people, God will test us differently. So never compare yourself with someone else. Never ask yourself, why am I the only one who's going through this test? If not you, but who? <laughs> Number two, be comforted in knowing that some tests that God will give us, we will fail dismally in them. Abraham passed the test of leaving his country where his comfort was to be sent to a land and a country was going to be shown. Tick, he passed the test. But when the test of perseverance, the test of waiting on God, on his promises came, Abraham failed the test. But there is a problem because this is where we find ourselves as children of God. Because we are human beings and we fail a lot, we don't know how to deal with disappointing God and failing in the test. And therefore, we run to our small holes where it's tough to come out. And we stay in the condemnation of how we failed. But God comes to Abraham and Sarah and says, in your failure, I'm going to rename you and renew you and give you new identity. And my promise remains. So let's be comforted when we fail. Let's run to the throne of grace where we'll be renewed, where we'll receive forgiveness, where we can humble ourselves and say, we have sinned, but we know there is renewal under your feet. Let us not run away from God. Let us run to God. Where his mercies are new every day. Because we are human beings. We are going to fail in the test that we get given. And the problem is we sit in that space for a long time. Beating ourselves. Condemning ourselves. And not going to be renewed. In our failures, let's learn from our mistakes. Because now, Abraham, God comes to him and says, Abraham, come, let's go and sacrifice that son. Abraham, because he's learned from his disobedience by trying to go outside God's promise, obeys straight away with good attitude. This time he doesn't mess around. 
This time he doesn't question God. Not that you are not allowed to question God. But in this case, he doesn't say, but God, but this is the promise. But he, he's, the Bible says, the following morning, he packed his things, took his servants, and they left. Isn't it comforting that we serve a God who when we fail, when we do wrong, his arms are always wide open to welcome us back. Isn't it great that we serve a God who's in our failures with us? Whose promises remain in the failures of our lives? Number three. Some tests will last longer than others. Some tests that we face will last longer than others. The problem with the tests that come into our lives is that we go to God quickly and we ask him to take away these things very quick. And we don't invite him in that space so that once we get out of it, we will come out different people. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming consited, con? Alala. English. I'm trying, eh? Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Then Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord, please take away this from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that God's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight as Paul in weakness in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The father of the faith, Paul, begs God three times and says, remove this flesh away from me. And this is where we find ourselves sometimes. God, this is too much. Can't you just take this away from me? And God is trying to say, but my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. When you are weak, Paul, I'm strong. Colin, when you are weak, I am strong. In your weakness, I'm giving you strength. Dale, in your weakness, I'm strong. I'll give you strength. So don't kick the problem away. Let him make you strong in your weakness. Someone is listening to the Bible. <laughs> that made that made the that made a nice a nice soundtrack backtrack. Because as I was saying, as I'm weak, you are strong. The Bible there says, as I'm weak, you are strong. <laughs> So thank you, Trevor. Thank you. <laughs> so what am I saying to you this morning? I'm saying to you this morning, 
Do not take shortcuts in your tests. Instead of taking shortcuts, invite God in your space, in your hardship, and let him make you strong in your weakness. And let him refine your character. Let him refine you. Because he's taking you through stuff to teach you stuff. Number four, some tests we will pass with flying colors. And we should celebrate that. Some tests we will pass with flying colors. And we should celebrate the grace of God that takes us and helps us to go through those tests in a way that glorifies God. Abraham, in this case, passes the test. Because when he's called by God to do something that is unthinkable, something that even if I close my eyes right now, and literally thinking about it, God telling me to do it now with my two kids, I think I will tell God, as the pastor following Jesus, to say, God, now you want to touch me on my studio. <laughs> Now you are, you, are, you are coming now you've crossed the line God <laughs> but I think the level of sacrifice God is talking about here is one where he wants to see whether in that sacrifice are you willing to obey his word are you willing for him to take you deeper than you've been before and some of us sitting in this room We've been taken through tests of many kinds. Some of us are in the middle of those tests right now. <laughs> I'm not trying to create something for you, but some of us are going to face tough times coming. In my career as a photojournalist, when I met my wife in 2003, I said to her, babe, there's something you need to know. I'm going to study photography. And one day I might become a big shot in photography. But there's this thing that I know, that I know, that I know. I'm called to ministry. And one day, I might turn back on this thing called photography and go into full-time ministry. She was 18. She thought, ah, yeah, whatever. That's going to happen when you are 50 or 60. It's okay. Fast forward 15 years later, I am a photojournalist. I've, through the grace of God, made a name for myself. I have good positions in big companies, and life is good. And God reminds me of the calling. And He says, Do you remember this calling? I want you to leave your job and come work for me every day. This was three days after I got my promotion letter at work. 
I go to my wife and I say, babe, it's time. God is calling. At the time, it was my pastor was Glenn from Godfest who had brought the word to me and inviting me to work for the church full time. So I said to my wife, because of the calling that I told you about many years ago, I'm saying yes right now. But because the two is one, I'll wait when God is speaking to you. So my wife responded to me and said, you go tell Glenn and God that there's a nearest lake somewhere and you can go jump there. Because I have not even tasted the first salary of the, of the, of the promotion. And now we must leave? No ways. So in that moment, we were tested. Because God is now saying, this thing that I've given to you, this career, I want you to turn your back on it. And I want you to come follow me. So the question was, were we going to pass the test or were we going to fail in the test? Let me bring this home. The star was promising me another promotion. Offering me lots of money. Me going to work for the church meant the end of promotions, the end of increases, and the end of lots of money. So God, in his own way, speaks to my wife in her private time. And she's sitting in a group of women. They had a Friday home group as ladies. And they are watching a DVD. And this lady comes onto the DVD. And he's preaching about Jonah. Who didn't want to go where God sent him. And the lady on the TV says, Jonah saw God's intervention as a disruption. Instead of a divine intervention. And then Jonah says, this lady says, some of you ladies in the room, this is a DVD, it's not a live thing. This person is in America somewhere. And this lady says, some of you ladies in the room, your husbands have been called to full-time ministry. And they have big positions in their work. But you are refusing for them to go. So I'm telling you now, woman, release your husband. <laughs> My wife came home trembling and crying that day and says, let's go. You can move now. Let's go. God has spoken. So then I moved. And then our children went to private schools. And then we have bond. And then our salaries were still there. And now you look back and you're like, God... But you said I must come here. Now, what is this thing that we own a minus before the month ends? But God was not done with us. Because just then when we thought, okay, we've responded and we've obeyed. God says, go to following Jesus. 
That was just a route for you. Your destination is somewhere else. Now, a bigger test comes. Because when you come to following Jesus, following Jesus says, we cannot afford what you are earning, but we will still like to partner with you. Can you consider? And we go back to the voice of God. And we say, what did you promise us in 2003? You said you are calling us to this. Now the real test comes. Because if you go to following Jesus, and already you are on a minus every month, and already they are saying they can't afford you, then it means you are not going to be on a minus. I don't know what you are going to be on. So when tests of many kinds come, and you don't invite God in that space to carry you and have faith that God will take you through, you'll find your faith wobbling in that moment. So we come to following Jesus with yet another salary cut. A big one. But we believe and we hold on to the promise And when things are tough, you sit there and you say, but God, you said we should come. What is this? What is this thing that you are threatening us with? What is this thing that you are testing us with? Because now we can't afford school fees for children. Now you can't afford the house. Now you can't afford this. But every month, Jehovah Jireh. God provides. So, some tests for us to pass them will go through many things that God wants to do in our lives. And I believe God was trying to show me and my wife that there are things that are in your lives right now that you are holding dear that I want you to just release. Release them from your heart because you've made them too much close to you. And that exercise has been so helpful to make us human beings again. To know that we don't need those things to exist. While they are good to have, then you go back and you cut. And you cut those things out of your life. And you come out the other side a better person. I'm going to ask the band to come as I conclude. When we read this story, we see that there are similarities between what God was doing with Abraham and Isaac and what God himself, the father, did with his own son, Jesus. We saw Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane being tested when he's looking at the pain and when he's looking at what's coming to him. And we see Jesus being tested by the situation in front of him. 
And we see Jesus saying to his father, Father, what is about to come upon me is painful. Is there a chance that you can take it away from me? But we see Jesus passing the test by saying, not my will, Father. Your will. Let what you want me to go through. Let what you brought me here for unfold if that's still your will.